There's lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. The darkest night often gives way to the brightest sunrise. That illustrates a benefit of adversity. It can put the rest of your life into perspective. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to Philippians to examine this idea as he continues the series, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, God Walks With You Through Trials. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. My father was a pastor. My mother was a teacher of women. Uh, we we lived every day in the center of all that goes on in, as a church, as, as a pastor, as a family. And one of the things that I, I think God really gave me during those early days of my life growing up was the memory of the words of some of the songs we used to sing. And I was thinking of this one. Have you, have you remembered this one? Be not dismayed where you be. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Just that little phrase, that wherever you are, if you're God's, he will take care of you. And he does. And that's what we're studying in this series called Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times. God is taking care of us. And he wants us to know that when things get choppy in the in the water, he's there. He's never going to leave us. His promise is to be with us always. He was not just Emmanuel at Bethlehem. He's Emmanuel all the time. God with us, always ready to be with us and help us. And I'm glad you have listened today because today we're going to finish up what we started yesterday as we talked about God walking with us through trials. And there's a resource for this month that I want you to know about. It's called Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World, a beautiful hardback 208-page book that I've written. It's based on 10 of the major promises in the Bible that God will be with you during difficult times. We've um, broadened them out into chapters with other verses to support them. This is a book that will certainly encourage your life. You'll read it, and then you'll think of someone you want to share it with. And you can have your copy for a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of January. When you send your gift, simply ask for the book, and we'll send it to you right away. All right, it's Friday, and we need to finish up our discussion of Philippians chapter 1, and we go there now for God Walks With You Through Trials. Adversity promotes the progress of the gospel, and it provides opportunities for witness. Now, let me break this down and tell you how this worked. Every day, 24 hours a day, he was chained to a Roman soldier. Every six hours, the shift changed. So Paul had four prospects for the gospel every day of the week. I sat down and figured it out what that is like in a two-year imprisonment. He would have been able to engage 3,000 witnessing opportunities at the top echelon of the Roman government. He was chained to the Roman soldiers. And suppose they were atheists. Suppose they didn't want to hear the gospel. Tough, man. You're chained to the number one witness for the next six hours. Like it or not, you're going to hear the gospel. 
And as he preached the gospel to his soldiers, everybody listened, and it created a stir, and it was the beginning of the gospel coming to Rome. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have come up with that plan. God, he throws all of the normal things away, and he comes up with his own plan. The Bible says that Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. He had a free pass to preach the gospel to the aristocracy of Rome for two whole years. And when he added to his mention the Praetorian Guard, he said, and all the rest, he revealed the fact that his imprisonment was making an impact on everyone in the palace. He had the opportunity to witness to other soldiers, household servants, and government officials. I remember reading in Corrie ten Boom's first book as she told about her experience in Ravensbrück in the prison there during World War II. She reflected on her pain and her suffering, and she came to understand that one of God's purposes was that her suffering should benefit others. Here's what she said. God had brought me here for a specific task. I was here to lead the sorrowing and the despairing to the Savior. I was to see how he comforted them. I was to point the way to heaven to people among whom were many that would soon be dying. Like many others who have suffered after him, Paul allowed his adversity to become a platform for the gospel. What the enemy hoped would thwart the gospel actually advanced it. If for no other reason than this, we should think twice before we complain about our difficult situations. It just might be that God is up to something eternal. Maybe you're in that place because there's somebody you will meet you would never have met had that not happened to you. And God is going to use you like he used Dave Dravecki, like he used the Apostle Paul. Adversity promotes progress in the gospel, and it provides opportunities for witness. Number three, adversity produces courage in our fellow believers. Notice verse 14. Paul's writing, and he said, Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It is evident from this statement that when Paul was sent to prison, it had an effect on all of his associates, all of his preaching buddies. He was aware that many of them became very confident and bold because they saw his courage. Men and women, bravery is contagious, don't you know? Persecution can be productive, and one has to wonder what would have become of the gospel had it not been for persecution. Isn't it interesting that God used persecution to get people to do what he told them to do, and they could have done willingly? For instance, back in the early days of the church, when the Great Commission was given, the priorities of the commission were very clear. Go into Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and the uttermost parts of the world. But the problem is the gospel got stuck in Jerusalem. The church began to grow. It was a comfortable situation. People knew it. It's kind of like what happens to you when you get in a small group and somebody says to you, we want you to go start another group. Are you kidding me? I've never been in a group like this. I'm not going anywhere. And I think that's what happened in Jerusalem. The church grew. It was exciting. Everything was exploding. But they had just taken one step in the steps that were given to them. The Lord said, go to Jerusalem and start, but don't stay in Jerusalem. Well, let me read to you what happened. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and 4. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church 
which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. God used persecution to accomplish his purpose. They wouldn't go willingly. He sent persecution, and they had to go. I have to tell you that in my lifetime, I have witnessed the infectious impact of courageous suffering. I remember the death of a man by the name of Paul Carlson, who was a missionary to the Congo. I remember the stories, I'm sure you do, of Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to Ecuador's Aka Indians, and Chet Bitterman, missionary to Colombia. And these people have probably been responsible for recruiting more missionaries than all of the other recruiting programs put together. When people see courage, they are drawn to it like a magnet. And the Bible says that when Paul went to prison and his buddies saw his chains, they became more bold to preach the word without fear. Number four, adversity proves the character of our friendships. This is a kind of a convoluted little section of this passage, but I think if you listen carefully, we can unpack it and you'll get what's going on here. In verse 15, Paul says that while he's in prison, some indeed were preaching Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Now here's what's going on. Paul's in prison and he looks out and he's getting information from his buddies because he's not locked away from information. And they keep telling him what's going on in the church. And what they're telling him is that some of his associates have taken advantage of his imprisonment to advance their own careers. And actually they're using the adversity that's going on in Paul's life to make things better for themselves. I know that doesn't happen today, but it happened back in Bible days. (laughs) These people weren't false teachers. They preached the gospel. But Paul saw that they were using his incarceration for purposes that weren't godly. As he described those who were preaching for the wrong reasons, he used an interesting word. He said they were preaching from selfish ambition. That phrase means to canvas for office in order to get people to support you. Their aim was to get people to follow them. Paul's aim was to get people to follow Christ. They were building a following for themselves, and they were using Paul's imprisonment as a platform upon which to preach that message. But watch what Paul did. He didn't rail against them. He didn't send somebody to correct them. He sorted this out. He tried to come to some resolution, and here's what he said. He rejoiced that Christ was being preached Even if it was not as he wanted it to be, he knew that though Christ might not honor the motive of the messenger, Christ would always honor the message. Do you know that sometimes people get saved listening to a message preached by somebody who may not even know Jesus Christ himself? The power isn't in the messenger. The power's in the message. You set the message free. And so Paul said, okay, I don't like this. I've certainly got a revelation of who these people are. How many of you know when you go through adversity, you figure out who your friends really are? Isn't that true? Some of them that you thought were really your friends, adversity sorts it out quickly. Paul got his friends sorted out when he went to prison. And the bottom line was, and here's Paul, he cared about one thing, the gospel. 
I don't care who preaches it. I don't like what they're doing. I don't think what they're doing is right, but thank God the word of God is being set free. Number five, adversity provokes growth in our lives. He says in verses 19 and 20, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul said as he looked at his situation, I'm going to take advantage of this, and I'm going to watch God do in my life something that couldn't be done if I weren't here in this situation. How many of you know that adversity separates men? It makes some men better. It makes other men bitter. (laughs) Over 80 years ago, a well-known psychologist by the name of William James wrote these words. Listen carefully. He said, most people live, whether physically, intellectually, or morally, in a very restricted circle of their potential being. They make use of a very small portion of their possible consciousness, of their soul's resources in general. He said, much like a man who out of his whole bodily organism should get into the habit of using and moving only his little finger. Then he made this astounding comment. Great emergencies and crises show us how much greater our vital resources are than we had ever supposed. In other words, when we go through adversity, we discover a capability that's beyond anything we knew we were capable of. We may have looked at someone going through a situation we're in and said to ourselves, I could never go through that. But it comes, and we discover that God has planted within us resources we've never used. He's given us courage we've never known. He's given us wisdom so that we can sort things out in ways that we know. Adversity sharpens your attention. Adversity removes all the non-essential things and helps you to see clearly how to do what needs to be done. Paul went on to talk about the things that helped him during that time. He spoke of the prayers of his friends. He said, I pray now. And he was grateful that his Philippian friends were praying for him. He said, I'm going to come through this. I'm going to be delivered through the prayers of my friends. Paul had this little thing going on with his churches. It's called the agreement of mutuality. As you know, Paul prayed for his friends. But have you ever noticed? Paul had some expectation when he prayed for his friends. Let me run through a few more verses for you. In Romans, he said, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Paul said, I'm praying for you. I want you to forget to pray for me. (laughs) To the Ephesians, he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Finally, my brethren, praying always for me. (laughs) In 1 Thessalonians, he wrote, making mention of you in our prayers night and day. Brethren, pray for us. In 2 Thessalonians, he wrote, Therefore, we also pray always for you. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Often when facing trouble, we are the focus of the prayer of God's people, and it is through these prayers that we are able to survive our crisis and go on to maturity. Paul had this great thing. He basically said, I'm going to pray for you, but I expect you to pray for me. (laughs) Prayer is a responsibility we have to each other in the body of Christ, is it not? And it's almost a certain thing that when you pray for someone else, they will pray for you. 
It is a part of the dynamic of what it means to be in the body of Christ. And then Paul said the second thing that happened to him during this time was he not only had a lot of people praying for him, but he noticed that he also received the provision of the Holy Spirit. His language is picturesque. His phrase literally means the full supply of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you go through adversity, I know this isn't true actually, but it seems like God gets closer to you. How many of you know God is always as present in any place as he ever was or ever will be because he's omnipresent? It is not true that during communion, God is closer to us than he is in a regular service. But during those moments of communion and during adversity, what happens is we become more sensitive to the presence of the Lord. Isn't that true? It almost seems like God has pulled a chair up next to us and put his arm around us during those days. It's not that God has moved toward us. It's that because of the situation, we have moved toward him. I had an experience when I was going through cancer that's always been one of my favorite things that I took away from that. I got letters from a lot of people. After it got better, I was back in the pulpit for a while, I got a letter from a guy who said this, Dear Dr. Jeremiah, I know what you've been through. I watched it. I watched you go through it and prayed for you. And what I want to tell you is that since you've been back, you've been preaching a lot better. (laughs) Now, that's kind of a double-sided comment, you know, because I wondered how bad I was preaching before. But he said, since you've come through cancer and I've been listening to you, you're so much better than you used to be. I thought it was a nice thing to say, except here's the funny thing. What he was listening to on the air were recordings that I had made before I got sick. (laughs) Gotcha. But then one day when I thought about that, it struck me. I wasn't preaching better. He was listening better. Because you see, when people know that you've been through something, they listen to you with a different way. Have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, oh, I know what you're going through, and you know in your heart they haven't got a clue what you're going through. (laughs) But when they know you're going through something... They listen to you with a sensitivity. That's what Paul's dealing with here. And then he talked about his own personal determination. He said, I'm getting through this because of the prayers of the saints, because of the provision of the Holy Spirit, and I'm getting through it also because of my own personal determination. He was confident that he would come through this ordeal. He describes his attitude as earnest expectation. My earnest expectation, he said. And the word that he uses is very relevant. It conveys the idea of watching something so intently that your head is turned away from everything else. You don't see anything else but one thing. Paul knew he was going to get through this time, this imprisonment, this adversity. And it was his purpose in this time that he would maintain his testimony. He wrote that in nothing I shall be ashamed. He said, I want to be bold as always, so now. In other words, I don't want this prison experience to change who I am. We can never allow our adversity to define who we are. We are who we are. Adversity is just a footnote in our life journey. Paul was determined to use his adversity as an opportunity to more loudly proclaim Christ. While many are silenced by adversity, Paul turned the volume up louder. And he was determined that Christ would be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. 
I mean, for Paul at that moment, his body was fairly useless to him. He was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, but he saw beyond that. He was determined that his body would be a vehicle for magnifying Jesus Christ. In one of his letters to Timothy, he described a situation like this. I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Paul knew that while he was chained, the word of God which he had given his life to was running free through the testimony that he had during those days. When he said that he wanted to magnify Christ, we need to understand that when we magnify Christ, we do not do it microscopically. A microscope takes that which is little and makes it big. Our Lord is not little, and he doesn't need to be made big. Then we must magnify him telescopically. We must take the Lord who is far away from so many and bring him close at hand. Quite often the Lord uses the adversity in our lives as a lens through which he can be seen. I've had people tell me, that their neighbors who've come to the funeral or their friends who've come to the hospital have made the comment that there's something uniquely different about you, about the way you're handling things. They don't understand it, and they ask a reason for your faith. Only through experiences of trials and suffering can the soul be strengthened. The marvelous richness of human experience would lose something rewarding if there were no limitations for us to overcome. Ladies and gentlemen, if the hilltop hour was all we had, we would never appreciate it. It's when we go through tough times that God helps us to understand better times. Isn't that true? We've been there. Now we're here. We look back over our shoulders and we thank God for the tough times, but we thank him also for the joy he's brought to us. I need to tell you that adversity is an interesting study. And while we don't have time to finish all of the references to this passage of Scripture, I do want to remind you that adversity helps us to see all of life in perspective. Paul saw life in perspective. Later on in this text, he says, whether it's by life or by death, he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I don't know whether I want to go to heaven or stay here. Paul was so in love with Jesus Christ, his thought of spending time with the Lord in heaven was overshadowing anything he thought of on this earth. Of course, Paul spent most of his time on this earth in prison, so I can get that. But he lived every day in the dichotomy of that choice. He says, I don't know whether I should go to heaven or stay here. And he obviously came to the conclusion that he was needed by the churches and by the Philippians, and so he made his decision And he said, I'm going to stay here and be with you by the Lord's grace. That's a great attitude to have. When you become a Christian, something happens in your life in relationship to life and death. Nobody that I know wants to die, but we aren't afraid to die. And when we know Jesus Christ, death is not the ominous thing out in our future because we know that the Lord Jesus Christ has put his foot on death and taken all the power away. Paul saw life and death as equally desirable. If he continued to live, he would come to know and love and serve the Lord more fully. If he died, he would completely and finally and perfectly know the Lord. He was caught between his desire to be with Christ and his sense of duty to help the Philippians. 
and his selfless servant heart is unmatched outside of Jesus Christ. If you go through the rest of this passage, you will discover that adversity provokes growth in your life, it purifies your motives, and it prepares you to see life and death in perspective. Amen. These have been good words, haven't they? So put a bookmark in Philippians 1. You need to go there often and remember that when you think you're in trouble, God's up to something. He's helping you. He's going to use you in a special way. When we get together on Monday, we're going to talk about this truth, that God has not forsaken you. You may think that he's forgotten you. Someone said, God doesn't have me in his Rolodex anymore. Well, God hasn't forgotten you. I promise you that. And we're going to talk about that. Monday and Tuesday of next week as we continue our discussion of encouraging words for discouraging times. On this Friday edition, I want to remind you of the importance of your being in church on the Lord's Day. I hope your church is a place where God's Word is honored and uh, where you can go and be involved in serving. And uh, if you haven't yet connected with the church since all the craziness of COVID, you need to get going. You can't wait any longer. Be in church this week. God will honor you for it, and you'll be blessed. And then we'll see you right here on Monday for the next edition of Turning Point. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Let us know how Turning Point is impacting you by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L, 2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World. Ten Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus, for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue encouraging words for discouraging times on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In a world that often feels overwhelming and discouraging, discover encouraging words for a discouraging world. Ten Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos, a new book by Dr. David Jeremiah. You'll discover how to face your circumstances with unwavering confidence and hope. Yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $70 or more, Dr. Jeremiah will send you his comprehensive Encouraging Words set. Request these resources at davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. All of us have tried the seafood diet. We see food and we eat it. Obviously, that's not a healthy way to live. Besides being unhealthy physically, it contradicts a rarely discussed principle that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10.23. There, Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. 
Just because something is possible doesn't mean it's wise. It's true that we are free to eat any food, but we have to ask, is it helpful? Does it edify? Those questions apply not just to food, but to all of life. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life and discover God's best on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.